0: Yeah, I can see. If you got your Bibles, Mark chapter 10 tonight. Mark chapter 10. That is where we shall be, and that's where we shall stay for the remainder of the evening. So you don't have to keep flipping all over the place. Mark chapter 10. I'm going to read a story, a good one. out of Mark chapter 10. We're going to start with verse number 46. It says, they, they spent some time in Jericho. This means Jesus and his disciples. And as Jesus was leaving town... Trailed by his disciples and a parade of the people, a blind beggar whose name was Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus or something, was sitting along the road. When he heard that Jesus the Nazarene was passing by, he began to cry out. He said, Son of David, Jesus, mercy, have mercy on me. Many tried to hush him up, but he yelled all the louder, Son of David, mercy, have mercy on me. My page turned. That's the problem with these, you know, with these little onion pages that you get. Okay, here we go. I'll Put my thumb down. It says, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped in his tracks. Call him over. They called him. It's your lucky day. Get up. He's calling you to come. Throwing off his coat, he was on his feet at once and came to Jesus. Jesus said, what can I do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, which means teacher, I want to see. On your way, said Jesus, your faith has saved and healed you. In that very instance, he recovered his sight and followed Jesus down the road. How many of you have heard this story before? This one isn't quite as gross as the one where Jesus spits in the mud and rubs it on the guy's eyes. I mean, that's cool and all. But, but if I ever go blind and Jesus wants to heal me and God decides to use you to do that, um, just pray for me. No spit, okay? Because you're not Jesus, okay? Jesus wants to come and spit in my eyes Then, then he has every right to do that. You do not. Okay, now that we got that clarified. But here's the thing we we're talking about tonight. Bartimaeus shows us uh, some really amazing characteristics of what it is to be a follower of Jesus, He shows us some amazing things that really, really give us an idea of what Jesus is looking for in his disciples. And that's us. We are followers of Jesus. So if we're not, hopefully we will be by the end of the evening. But we all are desiring to follow Jesus down the road. Do you notice what happens after Bartimaeus gets his sight back? He follows Jesus. Okay. Now, spiritually speaking. Spiritually speaking, hopefully all of us have received that sight in in, in the way that that the Spirit talks about as far as you were dead and now you're alive when you became a Christian and you asked Jesus in your heart and all that good stuff. But now it's time to follow Him. Now it's time to be a disciple of Him. So what do we do? Well, how do we live our lives? In what way should we be striving to know more about who Jesus is and what He is and what He's doing in our lives? And Bartimaeus Good old blind Bartimaeus shows us a lot of really good things that we need to look at. The first thing that he shows us is he shows us that we need to have perseverance. Did I say that right? Perseverance. It's dark up here. Give me a break. Look at verse 48. I love this. It says He says, when he heard Jesus was coming, was passing by, he began to cry out, Jesus, have mercy on me. Oh, Jesus, have mercy on me. And you know what they do? Shut up. They try and get him to be quiet. And I love how the Bible says that he just basically says, forget you, and he yells even louder. Isn't that nice and annoying? Yeah. Some of you have this wonderful ability. I don't don't know why, Matt. I don't. Yeah, but to be able to just keep going and just keep going and just keep going, to be willing to just keep fighting. You know what? Listen to me. I have found in my Christian walk with Jesus that most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time it's very, very hard. It's difficult. It's not always a walk in the park. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's a lovely bed of roses. The most of the time it's difficult. Jesus said it was. Jesus said that the path is narrow. And not very many people can find it because it's hard. It's not easy. He said the path that leads to destruction is four-lane highway. But the path to Jesus is tough, and it's not always going to be easy. And there's going to be times where you in your life are going to have to be willing to basically say, yeah, this is hard, yeah, this is difficult, but I'm going to keep fighting through this. I'm going to yell all the louder even though everybody else is saying, shut up. And that's tough, and that's hard. And that's difficult, but there's a point where you have to have what? Perseverance. perseverance. I didn't want to say it wrong again, because I could do that. You know what I'm saying? But let me let me, t- let me say, when I was in college, let me give you a story about um, um, perseverance. Did I say that right? Good. When I was in college, my roommate came back our junior year with something from, from Christmas, that I had almost never seen before in, in in working order. He brought back a record player. Sweet. Yeah, a record player that played records for all of you who were born who were born in the 90s or 80s. A record is a piece of vinyl. It's usually black. It's bigger than your head. And they, your parents, uh, some of them, would, would put these on the record player, and they'd have a needle. And the needle would go in the little, and it would play music. It was amazing. Some of the early ones had cranks. No, I'm teasing. Um, I'd plug them in. They'd listen it. So, so he brings back his parents' record player. He comes in, and he's so excited. I said, Joe, what is that? He goes, it's my mom's record player. She said we could have it. I was like, OK. So, he goes, oh, no, it gets better. He said, she let me have all her old records. Now, she had some Beatles and she had some Eagles and a lot of other old stuff and bands. But the one thing that she had that we both really ended up really enjoying was she had old Bill Cosby stand-up comedy records. Now, if you haven't heard Bill Cosby, he's hysterical. You need to go out and find some of his, you know, you can buy them on CDs now. That's great. Um, some of his old stand-up because it's, it, they're clean and they're absolutely hysterical. And we were listening to these records one day. And, and it's one of those things that kind of just sticks in your mind, one of those routines. And it kind of thought, I thought it kind of fit with the story. But he, he, Bill Cosby's doing the stand-up. And he's talking. And, he, and it kind of goes something like this. He says, he goes, you know, I learned something about, you know, of being a father. He was a father. And he said, y'all learned something about being a father, and I've watched something over the years take place. I want to explain it to you, show you something, what it is to be a dad. He said, you get your son. okay? You get your brand new. Have you, has everybody got to see Emma? John and Monica's new baby? Brand new. Yeah, she is beautiful. Brand new. It's an 07 model. It's great. Um, <laughs> brand new baby. But you know, the father, he gets the baby boy. Gets the baby boy, you know, and he's looking down. He's, my son, you know, he's my son. And as soon as the boy is able, even before that, he like puts a football in the crib. And, and before the baby can walk, he's trying to teach the baby how to make a spiral, you know, and, and catch the ball, you know, so as the kid gets older and older, you know, he keeps teaching him, okay, you know, this is the playbook, and this is how this works, and this is offense, and this is defense, and come in, run into me, and the kid runs up, and the kid, poof, and the kid you know, falls down, you know, that's okay, stand back up, get back up, run into me, ah, poof, and the kid falls back down, it's great, and this goes on and on and on, and then he gets older for peewee football. Oh yeah, Pee-wee football, and then he gets the pads and the helmets, which are all really, really big. The pads go out to here, the helmet goes out to here, so when he moves his head, the helmet just kind of shakes. So when he runs around, he looks out the ear hole. <laughs> okay? He's looking out the ear hole, you know what I'm saying? And he's all getting but he's getting bigger. Now he's gonna hit kids his size, you know? So the kids run into each other. Ah! Run into each other, <laughs> both kids go down, you know? And then they're getting up and they start to throw the football and catch the football, and they get a little bit older and a little bit older. And now, now dad says, Come on, run into me. The kid goes, <laughs> kid dad falls over, you know goes into high school. He starts playing on his high school team. He's he's the, he's the quarterback. He's the wide receiver. He plays both ways. He's on um, he's on offense. He's on defense. He even kicks field goals. I mean, he's like oh. Then he goes off to college. He gets a full-ride scholarship to Florida, Notre Dame, Ohio State, some big major football school, USC. And he comes out there, and he's like oh. And he gets, he's you know, spitting, and he's going all over the place, and handing the ball, and he's like oh. And he runs, and people are just oh. People fall over. He runs, just going to touchdown. He takes the ball, and he just squeezes it. And he drops the ball and he walks back to the huddle and he grunts. And the dad's like, Yes, yeah, my boy. That's my son. Oh yeah. That's my boy, you know. And he goes, Oh, he's the first round draft pick. First round of the he gets millions of dollars. He gets to make it to the NFL. He's going. Gets right back and goes, all over the place. Dad's watching. I taught him everything he knows. I drove him to practice. I gave him his first football. I did all this stuff. I was his Pee-Wee little League coach. And I am just so proud of him. And then he goes and then he goes to the Super Bowl. He's in the Super Bowl. He's running for a wide receiver. They hand the ball. He's taking off. He's running. He's running. They try to tackle him. Down he goes. And he goes around. He goes, scores a touchdown. They win the game. Everybody goes crazy. He's on the bench. He's so excited. They take the camera. They pan it to this boy. This boy that his father has put through all the time, all the effort. The boy looks. He smiles. And he says, hi, mom. That's why my son will play baseball. (laughs) (sighs) You know, we have to kind of be, listen to me, we have to kind of be like that father. Just keep going and just keep giving and just keep trying. And you know what? Listen to me. Not always are you going to get that thank you at the end. Sometimes, you know, I find that I have an issue sometimes with Christians is is a situation where the Christians are sitting there and they go off and they do something that's great, fine and dandy. Then they sit back and go, OK, Jesus, tell me. Thank you. Look what I did, Jesus. And Jesus is like, wait a minute. Why, why did you do what I asked you to do? Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's a it's it's not something that's that's real thankful job just keep fighting just keep persevering on and on and on and on Man, when people say shut up yell all the louder and it's hard and it's difficult but that's what he did he just kept yelling and sometimes we need to be willing to do that in our own lives because it's not always going to be easy it's not always going to be simple it's not always going to be high dad sometimes it is going to be high mom and we need to be okay with that and learn from that. Second thing he showed us with his was his face. His faith. Excuse me. And, and this is this is kind of interesting how he did this. Now, now he didn't do this in a lot of, you, you might be thinking something different. But look at verse 49. This is this is important you catch this. It says, after, after he said, Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. Many tried to hush him up, but he yelled all the louder. Jesus said, Call, bring him over. They called him over, says, You're lucky they get up. He's calling you to come. Now, this is the part where we see his faith. Throwing Off his coat. Stop. That's faith. How? Let's look at the situation. What was blind Bartimaeus? It also starts with a B. A beggar. beggar. He had nothing, folks. He would sit at the gate and he would beg because he couldn't work. He couldn't see. And he was sitting there and he was begging, please give me money so I can buy food so I can have some shelter, so I can buy a coat to keep warm in the winter. I find it very interesting that when Jesus calls him, he throws his coat aside. He doesn't pick his coat up. I think the Bible is very specific in this. He says he throws his coat aside. Why? He's a blind beggar. He doesn't have a lot of things. Probably all he has is on his body. And something that would be especially valuable to him as a coat. Probably his only protection from the elements. When Jesus calls, he throws it aside. That's faith. When you are able to take something that is tangible right there in front of you that you have and throw it aside knowing that Jesus has something even better for you, that's amazing. And man, we can learn from that. It's like he knew in his heart, if I can just get Jesus' attention, if I can just get Jesus to notice me, Jesus will heal me. I don't need this coat. I'll go buy another one because I'll have my sight again. That's amazing. And that is so difficult because most Christians, myself included, we want to have everything laid out before we even move. We want to have it written out in a contract. Yes, Jesus, when I call on you, you will answer me and you will heal my eyes. Please sign on the dotted line. Then I will move. We don't see that in line, Barnabas. He just jumped up and went because Jesus said, come. He left everything else aside. He put it all down and said, forget it. Nothing is more valuable than being with Jesus. Nothing that I have right now is better than what I will have when I'm with Jesus. Wow. That's faith. That's trust. That's basically saying, Father, I know that what you have for me is good and awesome. And the plans that you have for me are good and awesome. And what I have now, even though it's great that I have a coat, I don't need it as much as I need you. Wow. That's amazing. It's very easy to see in my mind now why Jesus healed him, because he was willing to put it all away. Let me ask you a question. Is there something, maybe maybe you could think of it, maybe maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's an item. Maybe And Jesus said to you, you have to let it go to have what I have for you. Would you be able to let it go? If Jesus said that relationship that you're in right now is not good and it's not helping you and it's going to hurt you in the long run, would you be able to let it go? Or would you hold on? Because I'll tell you this, for a man who probably had spent many, many, many nights cold and hungry, that coat was the most valuable thing he probably has ever, ever owned. And he threw it aside and he didn't throw it he didn't he didn't go, "Well, should I keep it or should I take the risk that maybe Jesus won't heal me?" Or it says he got up. He threw it aside and he went. That's amazing. That's incredible. That's something that we can learn from as a follower of Jesus. Last thing, very important. He shows us his perseverance, he shows us his faith, and the last thing he shows us is his humbleness. Look at verse number fifty-one. I love this. Jesus said, "What can I do for you?" The man, the blind man, said, "Rabbi, I want to see." How, does Jesus know everything? Yes. Sure, he does. Did Jesus know what he was going to answer? Yes. Sure. So why Jesus ask? He wanted to prove a point. What's that? What? <laughs> Bartimaeus. What about him? He had faith. He knew that, didn't he? Jesus knows everything. He saw it. Listen, he saw it when he left the coat. Why did Jesus ask? Do you ever think about that? Why did Jesus ever ask a question? He knew the answer. Jesus wasn't like, "Uh, I'm omnipotent and all that stuff," but uh, I don't exactly know um, the answer to the question. He wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear what you have to say. You're very close. You're very close. And and, and in another situation, in another teaching, you would be exactly right. But that's not the direction I'm going to go. Does that make sense? Okay. Listen, Jesus wants us. I believe this very, very much so. Jesus desires for us to articulate our need. Jesus doesn't need to know what we need. The Bible says that Jesus knows before we even ask or think it. It's for us. It's so that we will understand that we cannot do it by ourselves. That we need something bigger than ourselves. That we need to humble ourselves and say, Father, I need this. You don't think that's a big deal? Because I see that as a huge deal in many Christians' lives. They think they got it all figured out, they think they got it all wrapped up, and they don't need to ask Jesus for anything. That's called pride. And if you don't think that's a problem in the church today and in Christians today, you need to wake up. Because it's something that we deal with and we need to get to the place once again where we understand that we need to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I need this. Jesus asked, what can I do for you? And he said, I want to see. He could have said anything he wanted. He could have said, yes, I would like a, a, a new boat. He had to articulate his need. He had to humble himself down to the point where he said, Jesus, this is what I need from you. This is what I want from you, because I can't do this by myself. Very important that we notice that. Emily and I got married in November, and one of the things that we did at our our reception was we wanted to have um, a dance, okay? And so we had a dance, and we were very excited about this, and, and so we decided that it would be a good idea. I, we went over to, I went over to Emily's house one night before we were married, and, and, and there was a couple there that were friends of, of, of ours, and, and especially friends of her parents, and, um, and uh, they came over, and they were going to help Emily and her dad learn to dance because they were going to do a father-daughter dance, okay? Okay. So so they come over, and we had dinner, and it was really great and fun. And then it was dance time. So Emily goes, and she puts on her her shoes that she's going to wear, and they're putting on music, and they're trying to figure out music, and I'm just kind of sitting there watching. Because, see, I could dance. I had this all knocked out. I danced many times. Thank you. I danced many times before. I was all ready to do this. So, you know, we get up. You know, and I'm, you know, Emily danced with her dad, and he did a great job, and then it's my turn, and I got to dance with Emily, you know, and Gail was, the woman's name, Gail's, whoa, Aaron, you're a really good dad. You know, know, I'm all moving around, you know, give her a little twirl, you know, you know, sweeping her off her feet again, you know, making her realize how wonderful I am, and (laughs) that's not funny. Um. (laughs) And we're dancing, we're having a great time, you know, and, and so we dance, and, and Emily's all like, oh, okay, you know, let's, can we stop? I said, sure, you know. So we, we're, and we get all practiced up, so we're ready to go. And then it's time, we have our wedding, and also go to the reception, and then, you know, here's the father-daughter dancing, Emily and her dad danced, it was so nice, and everybody cried, you know, and it, and it was over, and then I came at the end, and I danced with my mom, and then, you know, and then it was time for our first dance. You know, and I've been to many weddings, and I watched these people dance. I thought, you know, that would be me one day. And it was finally my turn. So Emily and I get up on a dance floor. I'm all, yeah, I'm a dancer. I'm a watch. I'm a dipper. You know, I was all excited, you know. I was going to twirl, and everybody was going to go, ooh, that's, you know, golf clap, you know. <laughs> and we get out there, and our song started playing. Our, our song is, is You and Me by uh, Lifehouse. And so we, we played this song. Here's the song, you know. You know, the guitar starts or whatever, and we start dancing. And then something happened to me that has never happened to me before. I froze. Look, I, I I I make my living talking out to you people, being in front of crowds and doing things has never phased me. I mean, I've never I, I don't I don't get nervous. I don't. I'm just I'm just so used to it. I'm just not. It doesn't phase me at all. Some people, it's like you know. They'd rather die than get up in front of people public speaking. And I'm like, you know, whatever, great, let's do it. And so I get out there, and I just froze. I completely forgot what I was doing. And I looked at Emily, and I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, Emily's like, no, you know, I mean, like, you're supposed to know. I, you know. And I'm like, no, I'm serious. I, I mean, I didn't know what to do. And I'm like, I, I mean, I completely forgot. And so we just ended up doing this, you know. When I was like, I was gonna take her around and we were gonna do this, and I was gonna twirl her and all this stuff, and I've just completely spaced it. And I mean, I'm like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know what to do, you know. I'm like, should I twirl her? And then I'm freaking out, I'm gonna step on her dress, you know. Because I did that once, you know, and that was not good. And so I'm sitting there and we're we're trying to do this dance, and we got through it, and I even did her a, a twirl her once, and everybody even went, Oh, you know. The good thing about dancing in front of most people is most people don't know how to dance, so it's easy to fool them, you know, into thinking that you know somewhat what to do. And so we got through that. And I remember I went and I sat down and I was like, Oh my gosh, I've been waiting for this day for this moment. Our first dance as a married couple, you know, like woo! And I get out there on the dance floor and I just go, Duh! I'm gonna dance with my wife now. You know, I mean, it was—I mean, I was like—I didn't know—I was like, I might, we might, we we'll do a square dance or do something, you know. <laughs> I was like reverting back to fourth grade, you know, and your partner around and around, you know. <laughs> because I, it, as far as doing anything else, I was stumped. Humbleness. I'm watching this whole thing take place, man. I don't need to be here for this dance lesson. I know how to dance. I know how to do this stuff. I get out there. Bah. That was embarrassing. You know, that was not fun for me. You know, we got through it. But, you know, sometimes we need to remember that we don't know it all. We need to be willing to say, you know what? I need help. It would have been, been probably really, really wise for me to be paying a little bit more attention in our dance lesson. But instead, I thought I got it. I thought I could handle it. I thought I knew it. And then I got out there and felt kind of foolish. And I think Jesus, in a lot of ways, is saying, man, there's something important about humbleness. About being willing to go to our Father and expressing our need for something. Okay? And and, and that doesn't mean our need for a new car or our need for a boyfriend or girlfriend or our need for... For this or that. I mean, our need for a better relationship with him. Our need for a more intimate walk with him. Our need for a desire for him. Our need to realize that we don't have it all figured out. Because we're real good at asking for gimme, 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 gimme. But when it's really important, when it's really the vital stuff, we think we've got it all figured out. And this is the reason why. It's because we don't want you to know that that we're weak. I don't want you to know that I'm not perfect. And so I'll put on this masquerade and this idea so that when, when Gabe walks out of here, Gabe looks at me and goes, wow, that Aaron, boy, he's really got it together. When really Aaron doesn't have it all together. And we miss out on a lot of things that Jesus desires to do in our hearts and our lives because we're afraid that someone else might not think that we're super-duper Christian boy or girl anymore. And that's a sad, sad thing because we miss out on what Jesus really, really wants to do. And that's sad because it's like Satan has got us exactly where he wants us to be and we miss it. Because of pride. Because we're not willing to humble ourselves to the place of saying, Jesus, this is what I need. This is what I desire. And we miss it. So we need to get back to the place we can learn so much from a blind beggar that lived 2,000 years ago. To be willing to say, you know what? Here's the situation. Here's the thing we need to look at and it'll help us to be able to be more of who Jesus wants us to be.